All right, good morning, familia. That was a lot of reading. So if you miss your reading this week, don't worry, you just cut up. Today we are looking into this last section of the Gospel of Matthew 27, which some people will call the climax of the book. The most important part of the entire book. Now, I know that there might be divided opinions about that, but it seems that that's the case. It seems like if the Gospel of Matthew has been building to this moment so we could see and understand and believe in the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, what is interesting, though, about this section, super interesting, is that the description of the cross looks nothing like the movie The Passion of Jesus I don't know if you ever noticed that. I don't know if you ever noticed if you read the Gospels and every single one of them, when they talk about the crucifixion, they don't give us all the details that we find in the movie made by Gil, Mel Gibson, The Passion. Why is it that we have a more broader description of what happened in the Passion movie than what we have in the text? Don't you find that interesting? Like, for example, we know that there was a lot of blood. We know that the tools they used were horrific tools. We know how the nails went through his hands, and we know that he was sweating blood, and we know all these things, and we see it when we watch the movie, and people are like, whoa, my goodness, that is awful. How about if I tell you that that is not enough for you to be truly changed? Actually, let me make the argument that I think that part of the reason why in a movie like The Passion... They spend so much time elevating the brutality of the cross is because they think that if you feel the cross, then you will be changed. Actually, I met a pastor once, still alive, that every Sunday before he would start doing ministry, he would spend a five minutes looking at the passion of Jesus to get into it so he could do his ministry. And all I'm thinking is, that's such a dumb thing. <laughs> there will be a time in which you watch that clip, if you have ever watched that movie more than once, and you stop feeling what you felt at the beginning. How about if you don't have technology? How about if your phone breaks down, you can't watch the film? How about if I tell you that even though that's appealing, and some of us love that, that is not the biblical pattern. How about if I tell you that there's a reason why the Bible does not spend a lot of time giving us the description of everything that happened at the cross. So this is the promise. This is what I want you to remember because this is going to dictate how, how I preach this sermon. I think that the biblical pattern is that we must understand and believe in order to feel. Not the other way around. We don't need to be engaged by the brutality and the blood of the cross in order to believe. We must understand and believe in order to feel. And even if you don't feel, that does not change the reality of what you have believed. Are you guys with me? Are you guys with me? Yes. All right, so let me ask a question. How many of you guys 
were really good at school. Oh my goodness, no hope for us today. <laughs> the reason why I say that is because today the sermon is a little different. I am not going to try to engage your emotions. Actually, I'm going to put very little effort in trying to engage your emotions. Today, my job is to engage your understanding. So if you came today to feel empowered and moved, I hope you experience that, but not because of something I have said but because of what we understand the cross is. So this is what we're going to do, class. <laughs> I'm going to give you a theology of the cross in seven points. This is a seven-point sermon. Seven points. And I promise you that I'll try, try to finish on time. And I'm going to move fast. So if you take notes, you got to get ready. You cannot get distracted. And if the person next to you falls asleep, you got to wake him because he's usually a boy. You got to wake him up. <laughs> Amen? The sister should be like, Amen, Hannibal. <laughs> All right, this is what we're going to talk about the cross and obedience, the cross and fulfillment. The cross and substitution, the cross and darkness, the cross and sacrifice, the cross and grace, and the cross and suffering. Seven points in 30 minutes. Ready? Need you to do me a favor, tell the person next to you, you got to stay awake. Go ahead. All right, let's come back over here. Point number one, the cross and obedience. So right at the beginning of the text, we see Jesus in verses 32 and 33 going to the cross. And apparently he has been hurt, physically hurt so much that he cannot carry this cross. So they picked, the Roman soldiers picked this, this man that happened to be their assignment to help Jesus carry that cross. And then Jesus gets to the, to the place called Golgotha, which is where the crucifixion happens. What is interesting, though, is that we don't have, once again, many details Oh, what happened in between? There's no blood, no screaming, nothing. We just know what happened. But then the narrative slows down to give us one detail in verse 34. This is already Jesus being crucified, and he says, There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused it to drink it. And you're like, why do we need to know that? Well, this is interesting. That drink that was given to people that were crucified was kind of an anesthetic. It was a drink given for, for the people that is about to die to numb the pain. And it was common for people to be crucified and to take that pain to actually try to alleviate the pain somehow. Now, if you think that the Roman soldiers were trying to be nice, that was not the case. Actually, all scholars would agree that part of the reason why they will give this person a drink is to extend the amount of suffering, the time of suffering. 
So Jesus in the midst of this agony, remember that he's already been struck down and, and humiliated and mocked and all these things. Jesus has gone already all through that. Jesus is already physically broken because he cannot carry his own cross. He's emotionally drained by this time. But he chooses not to take the drink. Don't you find that crazy? He chose not to take the only thing that will give him some sort of relief. That will help him just for a fragment of time. But Jesus, Jesus chooses not to. The question is why? See, I think that the Bible makes clear that Jesus purposely wanted to be 100% aware. Jesus would take no shortcuts, no special treatments, no cutting the corners. Jesus was willing to do what he had to do, 100% aware. And the question is, why? So he could be 100% obedient. If there was something that, he, that could hinder him from full obedience, he could not qualify as a savior. If he would do something a little bit off, he would not qualify as a savior. Why? Because Jesus as a savior not only had to be obedient, but, to have to, but he had to be obedient to fulfill what he was required of him. Point number two. The cross and fulfillment. This is what is super interesting when you look at the cross. Everything that happened there, every single little thing that happened there, every event that happened there had already been uh, prophesied in the Old Testament. Or there's some sort of reference from the Old Testament that talks about what Jesus would happen and will go through in the New Testament. So, for example, in verse uh, 35, when it says that his clothes was divided, that's already shown up in Psalm 22. And in verse 38, when it says that the two rebels were crucified next to him, that had already been prophesied in Isaiah 53. And in verse 41, when it says that the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked them, that also appears in Psalm 22. Every single little thing that Jesus went through was a fulfillment of something that had already been prophesied. This is what is interesting, though. In verse 46... Is where Jesus says something that would say a lot about what he was feeling in the midst of all of this. Verse 46 says, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lava sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And every single scholar say that when Jesus is saying this, he's quoting which is crazy. Jesus is thinking about the scriptures as he's knelt to the cross. He's quoting the first verse of Psalm 22. And he quotes this to help us see everything else he's experiencing. So if you want to know everything that Jesus was experiencing, you have to read Psalm 22. I'm just going to give you a brief summary. Do you want to know what Jesus was feeling? This is what is interesting. His greatest pain was not the physical pain. His greatest pain was not that he was nailed to the cross. Let me explain to you what his greatest pain was. 
He's feeling anguish. He's crying, he's crying out and he feels that no one is there to answer. He feels being put to shame because of his faithfulness. He finds no rest. He feels like a worm and not like a man. He feels despised. He knows that he wants to be rescued and there's no one there to deliver him. He feels like a prey in the midst of lions. His heart is melting away. He basically feels dead alive. All of this is, a, uh, is an internal description of what Jesus is going through. Not just the physical pain. But the worst pain of all is the pain that we find in the phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you want to get a glimpse of what that looks like, let me put it this way. The more you have been with someone, the more you have loved that person, the more your, your love is. This is why when people get divorced, for example, it's an awful experience. That's what psychologists say. If you are with a person for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, when you lose that person, that pain is unbearable. Because the more you have been with that person, the more, the more you love that person. See, here we have Mel Gibson showing us how awful the physical pain of Jesus was. How brutal this crucifixion was. And here in Psalm 22, we have a description of everything that is going on inside of Jesus' heart. But none of those pains can be compared to our Savior, the God of eternity, losing the one person that has always been for him and with him, his Father. Did you notice that he didn't say, my body, my body, my hands, my hands, my friends, my friends. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, Jesus wanted to stay fully aware so he could be fully obedient. So he could go through what he was supposed to go through, fulfill what the Bible required of him, even if he meant losing the love of his life from eternity. See, we don't understand that. And we could never be there. Because we have never loved anybody that long. Or be loved that long. Can you see what your Savior was willing to endure for you? Don't reduce the, Jesus, the, 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 the passion of Jesus Christ to just his physical pain. And his emotional trauma. Please don't reduce what Jesus did for you just to this emotional thing. So now we've got to ask the question, okay, why is it that he wanted to be aware, he became obedient, and he was willing to fulfill what the Bible, what God required of him? Well, this takes us to point number three. So he could be our substitute, the cross and substitution. And I'm going to move quick through this one, but if, if you don't understand why is it that Jesus had to be there, it's because we don't understand the magnitude of our sin. 
You really don't understand the magnitude of your sin. See, we tend to think that we are, we know that we struggle, but we're not that bad. You know, at least I'm not as bad as you are. See, I know that I do things wrong, but we don't understand how profound our sin is. And I've done this before with you and to make you feel guilty, and I'm going to do it again. <laughs> Can you really pay the debt you owe God for every word you have said wrong? Can you really ransom yourself? Free yourself from the punishment of God if you just pay attention to the thoughts you have had. Forget the actions. Just your thoughts. Can you really pay your debt when you look at how awful your motives are? See, if I die today without Jesus, I will go to hell. Even as I preach. You know why? Because every time I preach, there is part of my heart that wants to give glory to God. And there's a part of my heart that wants to do this for your own good. But there's a part of my heart that really enjoys the glory I receive. You actually think that if there's a way for me to pay every single time that I try to take the glory that God deserves. Why is it that Jesus had to be the substitute? Because it's either him or you. This is why verse 40 and verses 42 is so, are so important. The religious leaders are looking at Jesus and they say, save yourself. Come down from that cross if you are the son of God. And then they say to one another, let him come down from that cross. And then we will believe in him. Which, by the way, even if he would have done that, they would have never believed. See, this is what these people did not understand, but we must understand. If Jesus comes down from that cross, we have no hope. If Jesus saves himself, we are doomed to hell. You want to understand what that looks like? I'm borrowing this from an illustration that... Uh, Tim Keller gave me one of his sermons years ago. It's about this movie. I looked for it, couldn't find it. So I, I just grabbed clips from it. Uh, 1938 movie called Angels with Dirty Faces. And it's a story of this gangster that is super popular and super respected in his community, especially admired by little kids. And he gets caught. And he gets sentenced to the electric chair. But because he's a tough man, he's going to die like a man. Such a stupid thing to say. And there's a priest that knows him since he was a little kid. And the priest asks him, asks him to not die like a quote-unquote hero, but to die like a coward. And this is what the man responds. 
You are, you are asking me to pull an act? To turn yellow? So those kids will think that I'm no good? You're asking me to throw away the only thing that I've got left? You're asking me to crawl on, on my belly? The last thing I do, that will be the last thing I do in life. You are asking me way too much. If you want to help those kids, you're going to have to think of some other way for them to be saved because the priest knows that if he dies like a coward, these kids will say, I don't want to be like him. So this is what the priest says. It is them or you. If you go out in glory, they're going to go down into a life of shame. But if you're willing to go down into a life of shame, if you're willing to throw your whole life away and your whole reputation away and go out in a horrible humiliation and shame, they could be saved. Something happened and changed in this man's mind. And right before the execution, the text says that he suddenly, the story says that he suddenly, he begins to squeal like a child. And he begins to cry. And he begins to cry out, I don't want to die. Don't let me die, please. And they grab him, put him in the chair, and turn on the switch. But if I tell you that that is the perfect image of what it means to have a substitute, it had to be Jesus or us. It couldn't be both. Why would Jesus want to be fully aware? So he could be obedient. Why did he need to be obedient? So who could experience and fulfill everything that God the Father required? And why did he need to go through that? So he could be our substitute. Please don't reduce the cross to just an emotional thing question why did jesus need to be our substitute point number four because of our darkness look at what happened in verse 45 from noon until three in the afternoon darkness came over the land this is supernatural darkness this is not an eclipse in the middle of the day this is not something blocking the, the, the light of the sun. This is supernatural darkness. And all scholars agree in saying that that darkness represented two things. On one end, the Bible talks about darkness as the spiritual condition of God's people. Someone that is so blind to who they are. So blind to being able to see other people and love other people. So blind about purpose and direction and the reason why we exist. So blind, so lost. That the only way for anybody like that to be rescued will be if Jesus, our substitute, goes to the cross, not just to die in our place, but the second definition of darkness is to take the judgment we deserve. See, Jesus wanted to be fully aware so he could be fully obedient. He wanted to be fully obedient so he could fulfill what God the Father required of him. He wanted to fulfill what God required of him so he could be our substitute. And he needed to be a substitute because we were so lost in our darkness that he had to take the judgment we deserved. So then the natural question after that is, how do we know 
that what he did was enough for us to be forgiven? Thanks for asking that question. Point number five. It has to do with the sacrifice. I'm answering the questions, how do we know if what Jesus did was enough for anybody that has placed their faith in Jesus Christ? How does that person know that that sacrifice was enough? So look at what happens in verse 46 and 50. Jesus cried out, God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then in verse 50, it says that when Jesus has cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Now, pause there for a second, because I'm about to say something that you probably never heard before. Did you notice that Jesus didn't die because of the cross? He didn't die because of physical pain. He didn't bleed to death. Actually, if you keep on reading, you realize that he died almost like a stroke. If you notice, nobody killed Jesus. From that perspective, Jesus gave up his spirit. Only God could do that. I'm going to die. He dies. Now, what makes this amazing is that he dies and we see a visual of what he accomplished in verse 51 and 52. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn into two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tubes broke open. And the temple that the Bible is talking about is the temple that is found, that is found in the temple. The, the curtain is in the temple. And the curtain divided two sections, the holy place from the holy of holies. And in the holy of holies, only the high priest once a year could go to make sacrifice for his own sins and the sins of the people. Once a year. And this is to point us that Jesus is not like a regular priest. He's the, the ultimate high priest. He is the one that goes into the presence of the Father, not just not to die for his personal sins, but who died to die for the sins of all his people. Listen up. And we know that his sacrifice was accepted by the Father and was enough because the, the veil is broken. Notice that it's not broken from the bottom up. But this is an image of a God that looks at his son and he looks at you and says, you can come in. His sacrifice was enough. You know why that's important, church? Because the next time someone asks you if you're a believer, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, please, please don't ever say I'm trying. I'm trying to be a believer. Actually, if that is true, you got to ask yourself the question, are you really a believer? Because Christianity is not about trying. It's about believing that what Jesus did was enough. Really enough. 
You know how tiring it is to live a life in which you're always thinking that you got to earn God. You know how awful it is to live a life in which you feel that you can lose God. It all be the case, listen, I will lose my salvation Monday, recover it, and Tuesday, lose it again, and Wednesday, gain it away, and Thursday. You know how awful it is to live not knowing whether God is for you or not. It is only when we believe that Jesus Christ as our substitute and ultimate sacrifice did what was required for him to do and God the Father accepted it as enough. Yeah, give him glory. See, Jesus wanted to be fully aware because he wanted to be fully obedient. And he wanted to be fully obedient so he could fulfill what God the Father was, had required of him. And he wanted to fulfill what God required of him so he could be our substitute. And he needed to be our substitute so he could give us, so he could take the judgment we deserve and, and give us freedom from the darkness we had. And he needed to do that by him being the ultimate sacrifice. So there's one more question to ask. To whom... Does God offer that gift? Point number six, the cross and grace. Before I show you something here really quick, let me, let me tell you what I would do if I was God. And you got to thank God that I'm not God. <laughs> let, let, let me tell you the kind of people that I, will, that, that I will want to save. Actually, let me tell you the people that I will not try to save. None of you guys. <laughs> I would choose people that it's always nice. I would choose people that would not give me a headache. I would not choose people that send me some nasty emails. <laughs> I, I would choose super generous people, man. I, I would choose people that would know what I want before I say it. I would love people and save people that always say, yes, Hannibal, whatever you want. <laughs> I, I would love people that don't struggle with temperament. I would save people that are always so nice. Thanks God that I'm not God. Because if not, none of us will make it. You want to see the kind of people that Jesus came to save? It's crazy how radically different Christianity is to any other quote-unquote religion in the world. Look at what happens in verse 54. When the centurion and those with him were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. I don't know how much you know about the centurions, but I put it this way. Scarface is better than this guy. <laughs> These were brutal people. People that were, their job description, description was to kill criminals. A centurion was someone that was used to seeing people die in a brutal way. They were considered to be scums. In the world. 
scums of society. They were hated and rejected by everyone. And yet, the first convert at the cross is a Gentile that is a brutal man. How about if you tell you that there's more? Look at what happened in verse 55. It says that there were many women there watching from a distance, verse 56, and among them you got Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and then you got the mother of Zebedee's sons. Now, please ladies, don't get offended, but in that context and in that time, women were considered to be second-class citizens. You would never choose a woman to be your disciple. Actually, their, their testimony was not even validated by, by the community. And yet we know because of this and the rest of the gospel that some of the first disciples of Jesus were females. And it shows you that what Jesus came to do was first given to the people that nobody wanted. That everyone rejected. You know why that's so important to you? Or should be important to you? Because he tells you that it doesn't matter what you have done. That it doesn't matter the magnitude of your sins. That it doesn't matter if you lived in hell. That it doesn't matter if you have done unthinkable things. That it doesn't matter if you don't have a place of honor in society. That it doesn't matter if you're nobody and nobody knows you. That it doesn't matter what history you have. The gospel of grace is for you. The gospel of grace is for us. You know who are the people that don't embrace the gospel of grace? The people that think they're good. The people that think that I'm better than my neighbor. Why do you think that the Bible points us time and time again to our sin? Why do you think that I tell you and remind you that you're a sinner all the time? Listen, it's not because I enjoy it, even though I, I kind of enjoy it. But because I want to remember that the only reason why I'm a Christian is because of the grace of God. That the only reason why you are or could be a Christian is because of the grace of God. And I want to remember that whatever garbage I did before Christ was completely erased and did not hinder my Savior to come looking and dying for me. Please don't reduce the cross of Jesus Christ to just an emotional thing. Understand it and believe it. And how about if I tell you that all of that stuff that I talked about supposed to change the way you live and even how you suffer. 
Point number seven, the cross and suffering. This is interesting. The number one complaint for many Christians when they suffer is to ask the question, why God? Why would you allow this if I'm so good? Why would you allow this if I'm trying to be faithful? Why God? You know what's interesting? You might never get that answer, you know? God may never respond. We may not know why is it that God allows suffering. But this we know. What the reason is not. God does not allow suffering because he doesn't love you. He couldn't be. Look at the cross of Jesus Christ. He can't be because he wants to punish you. He couldn't be. Look at the cross of Jesus Christ. It couldn't be that it's not for you. Look at the cross of Jesus Christ. It couldn't be that suffering doesn't have a good purpose. Look at the cross of Jesus Christ. I don't know why God allows me to suffer and allows you to suffer. What I do know that even when he allows suffering, is not because he doesn't love me. Because of what Jesus did. He will stick with me, even when I don't want to stick with him. Please don't reduce the cross of Jesus Christ to just an emotional thing. Believe it. Meditate on it until you start to feel what you're supposed to feel. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we are bound by nature because of our fallen nature. We are bound to make judgments about you and who you are and if you're good or not based on what we feel and based on what we see. I pray, Lord, that by the power of the Spirit, you give us the ability, Lord, to believe, to understand and believe. Even if our emotions are not engaged. Please, Lord, help us understand and believe that there's a reason why Jesus wanted to be aware, 100% aware. Please help us understand and believe that he needed to be obedient to fulfill what you require for our salvation. Please help us see and understand that he had to be our substitute and take upon himself the judgment we deserve because we have been living in darkness. Please help us to see and understand that his sacrifice was enough even if we don't feel still that it's enough. Please help us understand and believe that that salvation is extended to the worst sinners. To the ones that nobody wants. To the rejected. To the undermined. To the underdogs. 
And please help us believe and understand that when we embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he did for us on the cross, we can even suffer knowing that you're still for us. All for your glory. And we pray for this in the name of Jesus and the church says,